Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, Josh and I will be interviewing John Young, and John is the CFO over at Bold Penguin. And you guys might remember our previous episode with Bold Penguin founder Ilya Bodner. It was great getting the chance to talk to John. He's got tons of experience and tons of great stories from being a CFO at a variety of different companies. So as always, we hope you enjoy this episode, and we hope you learn a lot. Before we get to that episode, though, as usual, we got to take a quick moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org. That's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. All right, Congress, let's get the show on the road. You could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know you have to choose it and yeah, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors, and welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. Today on the show, we've got Mr. John Young joining us, and John is the CFO for Bold Penguin, an insured tech startup here in town. And if uh, you want to learn more about Bold Penguin, you guys should go back and check out our previous episode with founder Ilya Bodner. But John has a lot of experience as a CFO in the tech startup space with stints at Nikola Labs, Zestra Systems, Micropact, Red Cloud Security, and more. Uh, he also happens to be an Ohio State grad, and we are really excited to have John on today to talk about what being a CFO for a startup is like, financial challenges teams like Bold Penguin are facing, and more. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, John. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. It's exciting to have you here, and it's always fun talking. I think, you know, whenever I run into someone on the Bold Penguin team, it's always interesting, and I think you guys have a lot of great people 
involved there. So I'm excited to learn more about yourself and, and your story. But kind of on that note, typically where we like to start is just take a step back, talk about your life leading up to Bold Penguin, any previous roles, highlights all the way from childhood to now, anything that you feel really is part of your story. So feel free to take it away, John. Absolutely. So I was born and raised in Columbus, uh, went to Ohio State, started my career here in public accounting, quickly moved into technology with Goal Systems here in Columbus, Ohio, right before they went public. Rode that for three years. Um, we were ultimately acquired, which took me to D.C., and I spent the next 22 years in Washington, D.C., in a variety of technical companies, tech startups, venture-backed, private equity-backed companies. And upon my kids finally getting out of the house, I returned to Columbus. Go back to that uh, that first job, like straight out of Ohio State. Your degree was in, what did you study when you were at Ohio State? I, I received my BSBA from Ohio State in finance and accounting and joined, at that time I was Ernst and Winnie, <laughs> and uh, took my CPA exam and earned my CPA through through that experience. And when you jump onto that first job, you know, were your professional aspirations, um, you know, everything that ended up unfolding or were you kind of just enjoying the ride and, and trying to figure out uh, where you enjoyed being the most? I had no idea what I wanted to do, um, but I realized after two, three years of auditing other people's books that it wasn't a fit, that I really played better you know, on the operational side of companies and having a, having a day-to-day effect in a company, uh, which took me to Goal Systems. And I was very fortunate to find Goal. Great team, taught me a lot about building companies, fast growth, very acquisitive, um, and and high turnover. It's very fast. Can you share a little more about kind of what Goal Systems was doing? System software. So we were automating data center. So essentially it was, our big motto was lights out in the data center because our software automated all those processes. Running all the systems that don't run anymore today, (laughs) of course. And how long did you stay there? Uh, Three years before we sold to a company called Legent in Northern Virginia, which took me to Northern Virginia, and we ultimately sold, of course, to Computer Associates. And how long do you stay in Northern Virginia? I was there for 22 years uh, with a short stint in Charleston. So when Legent ultimately sold to Computer Associates, I thought I was rich. I think I made $50,000, <laughs> and I packed my car and went to Charleston and figured I'd live on the beach. That lasted a week, and I found Blackbaud and joined them. Again, founder run, uh, self-funded company, fast growth, very acquisitive. We did probably 30 acquisitions in the course of tw- uh, two years, and then I got recruited back to Northern Virginia and left Blackbaud. And along this route, when do you take your first CFO role? Is that? That was back in Northern Virginia. So um, I came back to Northern Virginia, entered my first venture-backed company, and got my first taste of of how they're capitalized, how they're run, how they're put together. Um, And we ended up consolidating three of the portfolio companies under Alex Brown, and that's when I got elevated to CFO. That sounds like quite the process, I'm sure, consolidating three companies into one. Absolutely. And I guess, so throughout that process, what I'm curious about is, because I don't know as much about accounting as I should, I took a class at Ohio State for a minor, but outside of 
looking at a balance sheet and telling you what the numbers mean, I'm pretty kind of lost after that. So what about the CFO role did you enjoy? Were there things particularly that stood out to you? Was like, these are the things that I love doing. Are there parts of it that you're like, ah, this is like the stuff that I would, if I could push it off, I would? Yeah, there, there's, there's the necessary evils around accounting or around CFO work, which is the back office, the accounting. It's, it's kind of the, the dry stuff, mm -hmm. um, which is less interesting. I always find it interesting to be on the front line and involved with the operational executives, whether it be the sales lead or the implementation leads and so forth. That's, that's the most exciting and the most valuable work that, that I find day to day. And then obviously, one of the primary functions I have is keeping the company funded and making sure the resources are there to keep the company operating. Um, so that's a big part of my role is constantly sourcing funds, whether it be commercial debt, mezzanine, investor money, financing around equipment, whatever I can do to inject capital at the least dilutive uh, method possible for that, for the entity. And what point in your professional career do you first land your first CFO job? So that was when I came back to Northern Virginia um, I joined a small outfit uh, that was funded by Alex Brown, and that was kind of my entry into venture capital. I had no idea what, what that really was or what, how to run a cap table and look at the business and so forth. So that was really my orientation or entry into that, that world. And as we put companies together and built that entity, I got elevated to CFO at that time. And was that is Alex Brown with Blackbot? Is that the company, or was it a different? No, one? it was it. It was initially called Surya, and it became Ilumin, and that was the second time I sold to Computer Associates of all, of all mm -hmm. things. So then you you jump on because um, you have so many big name companies. I'm just trying to like wrap it all out in my head chronologically. Yep. So we start off with Ernst and Winnie, and then we go to Goal Systems. Yep. They get bought by Legion. Am Legion. I still following this right? That's right. They get bought by Computer Systems. Computer Associates. So computer Associates. Yep. There you go. And then we jump into the next company that you just talked about, right? The yes. one in Virginia? Yep. And that then from there. Then Illumin, we sold to Computer Associates. Um, after, after acquiring um, two divisions of large companies, we rolled into Illumin. So we essentially put together, gosh, five or six businesses to make one that we ultimately sold to Computer Associates. And at that time, the main investor in Illumin was a, was a firm called Boulder Ventures, and they were running a company in the aerospace market, and I joined that company. And what company was that? That was, that was originally called Rannick, of all things, named after a, a lake in the UK. But we quickly folded Rannick into a Czech Republic company mm -hmm. that was doing um, airspace surveillance, next generation airspace surveillance with hardware and software, and we bought a division of BAE and put put the whole thing together, and we grew from five million in revenue to seventy-five million in two years, and we flipped it to SRA in uh, Fair Lakes, Virginia. Is there any financial or accounting uh, strategy that you have not? seen yet thus far in your career because i feel like everything you're doing like acquisitions you know spinning off all these different i mean is there anything left that that you still have not experienced that you wish you would have i've uh, never done a leverage buyout per se um we've done as a management team we came together 
at one point. So, so when we actually we put together this company in the Czech Republic, and like I just mentioned, and sold it to uh, SRA. When we sold to SRA, we had two companies under letter of intent to acquire, and SRA is the buyer of our our entity didn't want the LOIs. So they essentially, you know, we asked permission, they granted us the right to continue with those LOIs. So we actually went out and bought the companies that we had under LOI. That was a whole different world because that ended up being a government contractor that had plateaued around 14 million in revenue, primarily servicing the FAA with air traffic management software. But what we saw was they had gosh, 15 years of intellectual property build up, and an amazing opportunity to take that intellectual property, commercialize it, and take it to the rest of the world. Because the FAA is a thought leader in air traffic management, rest of the world is not, and they wanted all that technology. So we put, all, we put the whole deal together. We as management actually invested in the deal um, to, to attract money in, because once once money sees management writing checks, they'll follow. So we put that together. That was, that was an amazing growth story. We grew that. Gosh, we, we exited about $80 million off 15, and we sold that to Airbus, which was kind of, kind of interesting. Airbus being obviously an airframe company, mm -hmm. getting into technology, and the whole premise of the acquisition was they were having trouble delivering aircraft into third world markets because they couldn't manage the volume of traffic. So the separation between aircraft was so long, they couldn't get people in and out of these airports, they couldn't take more aircraft. So they bought us to, to bring us into those countries, those markets, mm -hmm. and enable them to deliver more aircraft. And have they been successful, the company, thus far? Like, as you look at these different ones that were acquired, and all these uh, buyouts that you've been a part of, have the companies continued to be ongoing successful mixing with the culture? And that's, that's the disappointing part because upon acquisition in a lot of these deals, you lose that entrepreneurial spirit and the drive and the independence and the company slows down. And it also gets clogged up with the bureaucracy and all the, all the overlay of the big company stuff that, that just comes along with big entities. <clears throat> and it seems like, John, that you know, you've done a lot, right? You mm -hmm. kind of constantly moving and constantly going. Would you say you're the type of person that you, know, you can't really sit still for too long? Absolutely. So it, it's not unusual to have two or three or five things going at once. Um, even today, uh, even though my primary role is Bold Penguin, I have two side gigs that I spend some time on, either weekends or nights, uh, either an advisory role or, you know, just just helping with other companies in in uh, in the portfolio. So it, it really, I mean, it's just a constant, constant go. Hey there, Conquerors. We're going to take a quick break in the show here to tell you about one of our sponsors, Mix Wonders. Creating a podcast is a ton of work, and a lot of heart and soul goes into your work. And that's why you want your audience to have the best listening experience possible. And that's why we work with Mix Wonders. Mix Wonders is an agency that helps podcasters like us get the most out of their audio. And whether you're spending four hours mixing your podcast each week, 
or you just can't seem to get the level of quality you want out of your audio, Mix Wonders makes it super simple to get pop star level audio at a low price. For a limited time, they are offering to mix your first episode for free. So just go to mixwonders.com, that's M-I-X-W-O-N-D-E-R-S.com to sign up for a free mix or consultation. Save time, sound professional, Mix Wonders. So good uh, good pivot into the Bull Penguin experience. So talk about you know what yes. it looked like joining that team. They recruit you, did you reach out to them? And, and when was that point that you first joined? Yep, so Bold Penguin found me. Um, it, it just turned out that two of the board members I've known for, one I've known since I was, gosh, three? He was my next door neighbor. And then a second board member that I've known for about 20, 22 years through a variety of relationships that I have in Columbus. So it's kind of a combination of, they were doing a CFO search, they found me, I really wasn't looking. I was pretty happy with Nicola, or at Nicola, but when I heard the Bold Penguin story and the relationships I have on the board and getting to know the executive team, seeing the product market fit, um, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't pass it up. And how did you evaluate that product market fit when you were first looking at joining the company? What kind of strategy, strategies did you use to yep. evaluate that? Yep. Yeah, the biggest thing was the fact, looking at the customers they had landed and how the product was being utilized, as well as the genesis of the company, which, which is their exchange, which is essentially the, the purchase and sale of insurance applications, and seeing the volume that they had achieved within their exchange, plus the two large anchor customers and how it was being utilized, the technology, it, it just seemed... Un- unimaginable, the growth and the potential in the in the company. And so this is about five months ago, right? That you yes. officially joined the team. So yes, five months in, um, I guess. What did the first couple of months look like? What were you working on, and kind of how did you get acquainted with the company early on? Yeah. So the company obviously has experienced extremely high growth. Uh, there's a lot of new team members in the company, both at the executive level and at the team member level. Um, so a lot of it was trying to get in acclimated to the situation, formulating a better financial model for the company, better outlook, and really trying to cement the deal economics for customers as well as um, the key metrics utilized to measure the business to maximize the valuation that we were, we were, we were, were trying to achieve. And so how has that been going so far? Like what are some of the... Uh Kind of the initiatives you're working on right now and, and how has that been panning out for you so so extremely well um, it's been a bit of an education process for for the team taking them through because we are we are a hybrid company we're primarily SaaS, but we also have implementation revenue and then the revenue stream around the exchange so we're we're a bit of a hybrid but developing the key metrics and understanding that when you're in a SaaS environment, the income statement is not your guiding light. You have to look at the longer term value of the, of the contracts and how to measure that and gauge it um, and report that to your investors and to the, to the market. And so for us, right, with long term value of contracts, because we're a SaaS company as well, we're kind of focused on, you know, I think it's like five or six years is our average customer life cycle. Mm-hmm. Um, and looking at, but for a company as young as Bold Penguin, how are you guys determining that number? 
Like, what are some of the things you guys are looking at? It's all assumption-based. We have some experience because insurance has obviously been around for, what, 100 years? Um, so, we, so in the insurance market itself, we know what the churn is. We know what the lifetime value of, of customers are that buy insurance. So we've essentially taken those assumptions into our assumption formulation to build out our lifetime value. And it might be good is for to help understand, I guess, because for a quick recap on kind of how the product works or what the how Bold Penguin yep. does what it does, because I think that that's one area. You know, when I talked to when we talked to Ilya a while back, I kind of understood, but I still think it's it's a complex process for especially <coughs> people who don't understand insurance. So, could you maybe give us a little background? On I that? will. I will attempt to simplify it. So basically, we're we're working in the small and medium sized business market around commercial insurance, and the whole goal is to automate that process of matching a business with the appropriate carrier, working through all the intermediaries in the, in the system. What that means is, as an application comes in, it gets digested electronically, the NAICS code gets, the business type, if you will, NAICS code gets um, identified, the size of the business is identified, and the geography. All that formulates into a risk profile that feeds through our exchange and matches it to a carrier willing to bid on that type of risk. Automating that entire process is, is what we do, attempting to make it a lot more efficient for everybody involved. Businesses get insurance quicker, agents have less work, and quotes and carriers get better distribution back to the businesses. And so in a situation where Bold Penguin isn't involved, is it the business calling a broker, that broker makes a bunch of calls? It's like awful. So <laughs> in being a consumer for 25 years of business insurance, when you look at how we used to get insurance as, as small businesses, literally um, you would fill out a multitude of paper applications. You might be lucky to get a PDF that's fillable but you'd fill out all the applications, the actual agent would most likely have to key it into individual terminals based on the carriers and what products they offered to try to get you quotes and bring those back to you to actually bind that insurance and get you covered. So it's incredibly laborious for a small commission. The average business, small business uh, commercial policy runs about $1,500. So they're going to take a 20% commission off that. So you're talking 300 bucks. So all that work to get 300 bucks, they they just basically said no thanks. Mm -hmm. So what we're doing is we're enabling agents that who primarily historically have been personal agents to enter into the commercial market because we're handing them an application and a quote, and all they have to do is administer and bind. And you guys recently raised a significant round of funding, uh, a really celebratory valuation that came about it. Where do you guys plan on deploying that capital and what do the goals look like for the future? Yep, so that capital is primarily going towards, uh, I'd say three different areas. Our working capital business ramp, so essentially because we're a SaaS company, of course, the, the cash is kind of stretched over, over time. So it's helping to finance that until we get to critical mass. Um, we have a significant need on the technical side, so we are uh, recruiting and hiring 
technical folks as fast as we can. And finally, it really is around all of the uh, other product ideas and aspects that we have. We have aspirations to, to bring out new products in new markets, and we're funding that development. And what about obstacles, challenges you see moving forward, especially from a financial perspective for both Penguin? Largest thing we've run into is technical resourcing. Being in the Midwest, not on the coast, it's really hard to get the, the technical expertise we need. We've done a really good job uh, hiring the folks we've, we've hired to date, and we've got a great team, but we probably need to almost double that team in the next I'd say 18 months to get to where we want to be. And so and the biggest challenge is just getting the right people to come to Columbus, or are you guys willing to look at, like, are they doing any sort of uh, remote work? Yeah, we are, we're sourcing all over the U.S. now. Um, unfortunately, due to the nature of our product and the sensitivity of the data we, we deal with, we can't offshore, um, so we really are restricted to the U.S. geography, but we have opened up um, the opportunity to hire anywhere in the U.S., and now we're in eight states, nine states with, uh, with employees. And do you plan on, uh, maybe this is something you can't disclose, but all, uh, opening additional offices in other parts of the country at any point? We've talked about opening a second uh, location in the U.S. later this year, but we don't have any definitive plans. And then talk about, you know, you mentioned some side projects that you're involved in. What do those look like? So um, we've got, and a lot of them are, are legacy investments that we've made. I say we, Boulder Ventures, um, and us as an old, uh, my old executive team from D.C. Um, we still are involved in five different projects in D.C., companies that we're, uh, we're still funding and running and hoping to exit sometime in the future. Uh, so part of, part of my old team is, is operating in those companies and then I serve as an advisor to those, you know, those finance teams. And your involvement level, like when it comes to an advisor, are you just uh, maybe like a sanity check on the books at certain points or? Yeah, I do, we do a lot of um, collaboration around KPIs, depending on the nature of the business. We had an opportunity when I was at Nikola, one of our portfolio companies had an opportunity to utilize Nikola technology. So we actually looked into merging the entities and putting the two businesses together so it's, it's things like that uh, that we're, we're constantly looking at and trying to discover, you know, the better, better way forward and obviously to get the valuations and the path to liquidation. What about your own personal goals moving forward? Are there things uh, outside of the business world that you uh, spend time or have passions around? I'm, I'm a huge biker, so road biker. <laughs> I used to, in, in Northern Virginia, we did a lot of mountain biking but obviously that uh, isn't really available here Hard in Central Ohio. Around here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, uh, so I've kind of moved back to road biking. So we do a we do a ton of road biking. What about from a personal standpoint? Probably a weird question, but do you manage all of your own investments and do you spend time? Is that is that your passion? Looking at like financial markets too, or is it just you mainly know, private I, business? I don't manage my own money. Um, I have a I have a great um, contact in DC that that does. Um, and he's and it's kind of a two-way relationship because he's been a big-time investor in most of my ventures um, as well as vice versa managing funds for me so yeah that is kind of interesting I mean I think they you know the recommendation is never manage 
your own money. Isn't that the, the yep. kind of like the, the policy? Because you get like, your own biases involved and, you know, you want somebody there that's going to be able to kind of check your thoughts. Uh, but uh, I guess one question I have for you, because you've been involved with a lot of startups and you've been involved with a lot of different companies, right? And we have a lot of entrepreneurs, people that run their own business that listen to our podcast. So like, how should entrepreneurs be thinking about that finance? And I guess when's the right time to bring in a CFO? I think that's something that a lot of people are thinking about. So in, in the new world, this whole concept of fractional CFOs obviously is, has, uh, has risen. So I, I really think it's, it's really critically important to have that level of thought in the company as early as possible. And that's, there, there are so many potholes and traps along the way that you can hit as you do your initial funding, as you do capitalization uh, efforts, um, and so forth, and a lot of places you can trip up. And I think, I think it's critically important to have somebody at that level involved, even part-time, just to guide you through those processes and make sure you're, you're protecting yourself and you're doing the best thing possible from a dilution perspective as you start to structure and build the company. Secondarily, it's critically important to have a strong back office, strong processes and so forth from multiple aspects. The first one is every time you go for a funding, every time you go for an exit, critically important to have a clean back office, a good data room and a solid story from a financial perspective. And you have to have that expertise in place to make sure you've got all of that lined up. People really underestimate, but the diligence processes that, that you go through when you're funding, selling, acquiring, et cetera, are extremely strenuous. And I've been through it with Airbus, GE, Raytheon, General Dynamics, Talus, um, Airbus, I think I mentioned, um, big companies that I've been through this. and. It's, it's very, very difficult. So you have to have, and it's usually one on many. So a lot of times I'll walk into a diligence room on human resources, and there'll be five human resource people and three lawyers and me <laughs> going through the process. So um, it's, it's really important to have a good foundation so that when you get to that ultimate exit, you're ready. So talk about in more of an off-the-wall kind of uh, off-the-cuff question the the metrics that go into a SaaS-based business versus uh, any other traditional business model where you're getting valuations based on revenue, taking into account churn, year-over-year growth, average deal size. I mean, just so many different knobs that are being turned in a SaaS-based business that you're not really focusing on in other businesses where, you know, EBITDA is, is the end-all, be-all. Yeah, so so there are – I really categorize sales in two – in two areas, um, you have financial sales. So when when I sold um, my government contracting business, the government contracting company buyers they were all financial buyers, and shocking that all the valuations came in literally within a million dollars of each other from all these all these uh, government contracting companies because that's what they're looking at. I mean, it's literally a set. Um, a set of multiples around EBITDA, revenue, and so forth, um, based on your profit generation and so forth. 
when you get into SAS, uh, it really becomes a whole different animal. And the multiples are really a lot less defined and you're starting to get into strategic sales where you, you really exit the financial buyer market and you're entering strategic buyers where it's important for capture, lifetime value, churn, retention, all those factors are what you have to put on the table and prove out to get, to get the valuation. And then you start talking about multiples of 10 to 20 times revenue when you, when you get into businesses that, you know, like this. Yeah, and it's, it's always kind of interesting to see how that shapes out. I mean, do you see, so one thing that I'm curious about long-term for SaaS, like do you see valuations going up, going down, remaining around the same in terms of just general, you know, across SaaS companies? Good question. So I think, I think in the traditional SaaS world, like the Salesforce.coms and those kinds of businesses where you're, you're really leveraging a piece of software across thousands of you know, companies and, and users on that platform, I think the valuations are going to be relatively stable. What we're seeing, what I'm seeing more and more of are these hybrid companies where it's, it's becoming a little more intense around the software and there is implementation services, there's more support on the back end. You're seeing the evolution of, of HaaS companies, hardware as a service companies. Shockingly, I've been involved in two HaaS companies and that's a whole nother world where you're not just developing software, you're developing a piece of hardware and that adds to the back end as well because you're actually maintaining a piece of hardware versus just a piece of software where you can do it all remotely. Um, so I think, I think the, the whole valuation model and aspects are gonna get more complex over, over the next couple of years. It's interesting that you point that out. I read an article rather recently that was talking about, I believe it was like Goodyear, one of the big tire companies that was developing sensor technologies inside their tires that were going to tell you automatically when you needed them rotated and what needed done to them. Um, and they were just, they were starting to build out their reoccurring revenue stream to automatically have somebody come out to you right at that time. You'd never have to worry about taking it anywhere. Yep. So it's like even, even the most, um, whether you want to think of them as vanilla or um, hard hardware type products, that are out there trying to find a way to build software and, and get that reoccurring revenue stream because the multiples that are coming absolutely. out of it. Absolutely, absolutely. It's, it's all, it, and even the, the first Haas company I got involved with, um, it, <laughs> of all things, it was a precision beverage dispensing system. And we were literally, it was a usage model, so we were charging by the ounce, but we were literally deploying five to six thousand dollars in assets to get one faucet turned on and then praying for enough volume out of that faucet at 10 cents an ounce to recoup not only the asset cost but provide support on the back end fund the software development and support the system so it, it's it's really a whole different model and whole different world Perfect. Well, John, I think that's a good place to pivot towards our last question of the show. And it's centered around the theme here on Conquer and Columbus, which is live uncomfortably. And without telling you too much about why Josh and I chose that theme for a podcast about entrepreneurs and business, what do you think about when you hear the phrase and kind of how does it apply to your life and career? I'll take that professionally because <laughs> um, I'm, I'm in an interesting role because – 
a lot of times I'm the face of the company, particularly to the employees, but also to the investors. But I also know what's really going on in the company. So I live kind of in two worlds where I have to project a positive outlook, support the company, support the employees, yet in the back office, you realize we're cash constrained, we're resource constrained, possibly running out of money in three months, uh, not knowing where that fifth payroll is going to come from. So I kind of, it, it, it's funny when, I, when you say living dangerously, it, it, I live in this, that world where I have to have this face on, but I also have to face the realities that we really do have a challenge on the backside of the company that has to be managed but it has to be managed on both sides. That's kind of the first, first perspective. The second perspective goes way back when, you know, when we were actually trying to put together one of our first major, major deals. Um, I say we because a, a partner and I, and we actually had to write checks. And there was actually a point where we put our houses up to get enough money in the company to keep it going. And at that point, you really don't know what the outcome's gonna be. So, but you know you gotta do it. And I got lucky, <laughs> it paid off, I kept my house, um, but you never know. You just never know. I've seen, a, I've seen more deals crash and burn than, than actually succeed. And Ted, we don't always ask a you know, follow-up question on that, but I'm curious when you were going through that, what. What about you or what about the deal made you feel like you had to do it? Was it that you had a lot of faith in the company or you were, are you just more uh, comfortable taking risk than, than maybe some other people? I'd, I'd say it was, it was probably personal confidence that I really, I really felt we could get our way through, through the challenges, through the building of the business, getting to cash flow, and ultimately getting to the, the point where we could look at buyers and take the thing to, to market. Yeah, that, that was really what got us through. But it's it's frightening when you you know you put you put your house up and you and you've drained your checking account and you really are on the edge. But when you get to the sale, it's euphoric. I mean, you just can't even imagine. Well, perfect. Well, John, thanks so much for joining us. Absolutely, your story. it's been a lot of fun today. Appreciate you yep. taking the time to talk with us. Anytime. Yep. And Conquerors, that was John Young. He's the CFO at Bold Penguin. If you want to learn more about him or his team. Check out the links down in the show notes. Thanks so much for tuning in. We appreciate all your support, and we'll talk to you next week. Hey, Conquerors, that's it for the episode today. Hope you guys enjoyed that episode and learned a lot. If you did, make sure to leave a like. Share us on Facebook with your friends. We really appreciate all your support. And every time you share our podcast or leave a review on iTunes, it really does help us out. Before we let you go, we want to take one last moment to thank all of our incredible sponsors here at Conquering Columbus. And that starts with Small Biz Cares. Small Biz Cares is a nonprofit founded by socially conscious community leaders here in Columbus, and their goal is to connect, mobilize, and inspire small businesses to create lasting positive impact in our community. Small Biz Cares members have the unique opportunity to work with like-minded businesses to raise money and participate in large-scale volunteer efforts and improve educational opportunity for youth in our community. To learn more, visit smallbizcares.org that's smallbizcares.org. Conquering Columbus is also brought to you in part by the Sundown Group. 
The Sundown Group is an Ohio-based nonprofit helping connect entrepreneurs to everything they need, including investors, mentors, capital, and talent through business pitch events, workshops, and classes throughout the state. And you can get more information on the web at sundownrundown.org. And now I'm going to kick it back to Josh to tell you about our last sponsor, FMX. FMX is a cloud-based facilities maintenance and management software founded and headquartered right here in Columbus, Ohio. There's a lot of competitors in this space, but FMX has made a name for itself, become the fastest-growing facilities maintenance and management software on the market on behalf of its extreme ease of use and tailored-fit approach to its clients. They serve industries ranging from education to property management, manufacturing, fast casual, and more. If you want to check out more, you can go to gofmx.com. If you could drop me anywhere on the planet in any environment and I might get you know my head kicked in in the beginning but I'll find a way to survive I'll find a way to get the job done yeah there's a little doubt but you know what once again I think of that guy in my ear I think about stepping up to the stage I think about the challenge like I've lost sometimes but I've won more than I've lost and so like I bet on me any day choosing greatness greatness doesn't choose you you know, you have to choose it. And, you know, it's hard. I think there was a hunger in me. There was a desire just to make a difference. There was a desire to not just be status quo, a desire to not be average. This is Conquering Columbus.